near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, and the composer of the album Home. Today we're going to share the experience of Philip from Enderf.org. If we have time afterward, we may continue and share additional experiences, depending on Um, how much we have to say about this one. So, Philip says, My two younger brothers, R and H, were traveling with me, passing the farm home, and R said, Run the stop, because the road had had a bump, and it was fun to fly. I refused to run the stop, to his disappointment, but had I done it, I would not be sending you this. After stopping... I could see a vehicle a long way up to the north as we were facing east. It was a 35-mile zone, so I had plenty of time to cross. But little did I know the other pickup was going 75 miles per hour, and the driver was drunk. Though I was well over the center of the road, this man attempted to cross in front of me and wound up hitting right where I was in the driver's side. I heard nothing and felt nothing. I found myself standing outside with a dark gray appearance that darkened my view as I stared, and the pickup and the flashing lights arrived from the left. That triggered my awareness of my brothers, and I began to cry, Where are my brothers? again and again. In an instant, I found myself with my hands up to my head, blood running into my eyes. I lost consciousness, was in the hospital overnight, and put on observation at home for two weeks. For years I was left wondering why I felt that I have been thrown from a pickup from the pickup. I never told anyone until I was reading about near death experiences at Brigham Young University in nineteen eighty two, more or less. That is when my long awaited question was understood. What it did for me was to understand scriptures relating to the human soul. We are an intelligence clothed with the power of spirit, created in the image of God in heaven before we were born. At conception, our spirit enters the embryo and begins earth life in the womb. The embryo would be dead otherwise and could not mature and develop otherwise. I experience a sense of knowing things without any previous knowledge about some people I meet that are complete strangers. At times, I have been given reprimands and warnings by a voice. I know that we are 
a spiritual being that enlivens the physical body that is a temple or tab tabernacle for the spiritual being that we are to learn from our earthly experience. While working in Houston, Texas, I was driving the 610 loop in the fast lane. I have been pondering over my life and feeling discouraged. Out of the blue, I was given this message. I'm sorry, but I feel that I am not supposed to say anything at this time. I do not understand why, but when I have this feeling, it is usually wise for me to follow my feeling. That is the end of Philip's experience. And it's kind of an interesting one, because although his experience is, a brief, is just a brief out-of-body experience surrounding his near death, um, his insights are very interesting, uh, talking about the, uh, what does it say about that? We are in, an intelligence clothed with the power of spirit created in the image of God. And at conception, our spirit enters the embryo and begins earth life in the womb. He then goes on to say that embryo, the embryo would be dead if it were not so. I also find it interesting that he, when he's talking about um, another time when he's driving along and he suddenly is given a message, but then I, I assume in the writing of this he suddenly feels like, oh, I shouldn't share that. that uh, like that spirit is telling him, you know, don't don't write that down. And I don't know if that's because it's too personal or if it's something that is a little bit um, too sacred for him to share, something to that effect. But um, very interesting experience. Let's do another one. This is Diane from enderf.org. Diane says, When I woke up in the morgue, I was naked and paralyzed. The only available light came from the opaque glass d window in a door. Two people stood in the doorway, a nurse holding the clothes I had had on and my brother-in-law. He asked, Do dead people cry? The nurse looked at me and said, Oh my gosh, and I passed out. I came to again and was being wheeled down a corridor with signs above me saying, Intensive care. I passed out again. Then I became aware that I was semi-alert, not awake, but aware of something happening to me. I felt like I was a smoky being inside my body. This smoky being was curled up. First I curled up inside my feet, then my legs, then arms, then body, all very, very slowly. When all the smoky being in, was inside my head, I suddenly felt a big pop and was outside of my body. I could look down on my body from above. I wondered if I could go through the wall. I did. Outside of the room was a long corridor. My mother, sister, and brother-in-law were there. My sister said, I wonder if we should stay. My brother-in-law said, I will do whatever you guys want. My mother said, well, you know how I don't like hospitals. It felt annoyed. I felt annoyed with them. I decided to go up the corridor to see what was back there. Around the corner was a seating area, 
I got nervous about being away from my body. I decided to retrace my path. Back in the room, I was amazed to discover the body was talking to two police officers, describing an accident, but not in any way the one I had been in. I decided to go back into my body. I saw that there was a bright light outside the window. Outside the window was a parking lot. I had seen it when I left the room. Now I could not see any parking lot, just the bright light. I thought to myself, I'm not ready to go. Immediately I was inside my head and the smoky being was unraveling slowly. I felt that someone else was in the body. I felt that someone had a name, Kathy. I thought, Kathy, you do not have to go. You can stay too. I felt that person was frightened. I did not talk to the police. Kathy stopped talking. I passed out. I spent weeks in the hospital. And that is the end of Diane's account. Now, there are several things in there that are a little bit strange and unique in this experience. Um, first off, it's a very comforting experience to know, you know, that that there's life beyond, obviously. But there's a few things that I'm like, that's odd about it. First off, her first recollection, at least or the first one that she discusses, is waking up in the morgue, which tells me that if, well, and, and I have to draw a lot of assumptions here or just leave it open, and we could leave it open, that's fine. If you feel more comfortable leaving it open, by all means do it. But um, I'm going to assume for a moment that this is her first recollection. So we kind of think of near-death experiences usually as starting the moment of death, and they usually seem to do so. But in this case, she made it all the way to the morgue before becoming aware. But she says that she woke up in the morgue, um, and it's not that she's coming out of her body in the morgue. Rather, she is waking up, and because she's, she can see a couple of people um, off in the distance, and they, they must not be too distant, though, because um, she's laying there, apparently can't move or whatever, but her brother-in-law says, do dead people cry? And the nurse is like, oh my gosh. And then they're being wheeled down the corridor with signs above saying intensive care. So she had no recollection that we know of, unless she had an experience and then forgot it, which I think is likely, but also we don't know. There's no way to know for sure. But she didn't have any recollection of anything until waking up in the morgue as her physical being, and then she passes out again, and then wakes up in the intensive care unit, passes out again, and then she says, I became aware that I was semi-alert, not awake, but aware of something happening to me. And that's the point where she feels herself as being this smoky, I don't know, vapor, or kind of a smoky being of some kind, that's kind of curling up from, I'm picturing this as the way she says it, I'm picturing that she feels herself as if being smoke that is curling up 
into the arms, into the, you know, from the legs, I mean, from the arms, from the legs, up all the way until she feels herself entirely in the head of the body, and then she pops out. Now this pop, this big pop, seems to be something that many people experience. Not everyone. Some people just drift from the body or, or come out through the stomach or the back or whatever, but this pop, popping out of the body, seems to be common. Okay, now I have to apologize. Twice during my recording of this, I got interrupted by life things going on. <laughs> and so I've completely lost my train of thought since my last recording. But I'll do my best to pick up where I left off. Okay, let's share one more tiny one. It's probably like three, four sentences long. Um, but it's, it's beautiful. This is Ernestine. Ernestine says... I was lifted and surrounded by marshmallow soft love. No words can describe the perfect happiness and security of that palpable love. The whole atmosphere actually consisted of love. Then I looked down and saw several people whom I did not recognize. They looked up at me and said, This is the real world. We're the real people. Stay here. But I knew I had to go back. That is the end of that experience. You know, there's something almost sci-fi feeling about these experiences. Maybe fantasy a little bit. Um, but for good reason. I mean, these are just out of this world. This, this kind of uh, otherworldliness experience that people have on the other side. Um, Ernestine describes the whole atmosphere. It, she doesn't even say whether she was in a different location or if she's floating above, you know, a hospital bed or what exactly. Just that she was lifted and surrounded by marshmallow soft love. Then she looks down and saw several people whom she did not recognize. And they say this is the real world. We're the real people. Stay here. It's also interesting to me that she is encouraged to stay um, with them, but she doesn't. She comes back. She just says, I knew I had to come back, or had to go back. Um, she doesn't explain why, but uh, she had more to do. Did these people who were on the other side, apparently there to greet her, did they know that by saying that she should stay, that it would egg her to pull back and, and say, I have to go back? Or did they really not know that she had more that she needed to do? Or had she finished her life purpose and was supposed to go back? but chose otherwise. Now, not everyone is given that choice. If it's their time to go, sometimes they're... Or, or if the, it's not their time to go, um, and they're told they have a choice, and then they don't end up staying on the other side, then you know something went wrong there, and, and probably they were not actually given a choice, but they were told they have a choice in hopes that they would make that choice, probably in hopes that they would own that choice when they got back and wished they could return. I don't know. Why is it uh, that there are different 
ideas about what is and is not possible in terms of staying or going or whatever. I don't know. But the fact that that world is seen by spirits as the real world, that they are the real people, makes me wonder in part what they actually think of what we're experiencing. Do they see it as a school? You know, I mean, I, I talk to my high school kids and I, I tell them, you know, this, this life that you're experiencing around high school and so forth, it's nice and get the most out of it, work hard in school, be a good friend and so forth, do, you know, put your all into it, but know that this isn't what real life is like. Real life is so much better. Now, of course, when we're talking about spirits on the other side, and they're saying it's so much better on that side, they are not kidding. And <laughs> they're, you know, and there's so many things about being an adult and not being a high school kid anymore that is incredibly difficult and challenging. And maybe there is over there too. And we just haven't encountered much of that yet. But uh, the thing that it makes me think of is that you know, are we in this sort of high school experience, which is a dreadful high school, or is it more that this is some sort of, you know, virtual reality type of thing to us, that it's something between a game and a test and a, you know, a challenge, or is it something that is, you know, kind of a bitter pill that we all have to swallow and I hate to keep using the word bitter and awful and things like that because this life isn't awful. It's, it's quite wonderful and it has great potential to be incredibly joyful. But it, this is one of the, I guess you might say, side effects of studying near-death experiences as we start to realize what we're missing right now. And it's hard. It's hard to take that. But we've got to. You guys, we have to. We have to hold out and finish our purpose for being here. And if we think to ourselves, if we ever are tempted to think, okay, well, I finished my purpose. I can, you know, stop being careful and allow myself to accidentally die or, or even intentionally take our own lives. That simply means that we didn't understand what our purpose really was. Because everything I have read suggests that suicide is not an easy back door, an easy way out. It's just not that. It does not escape the problem, and it does not solve the problem. It doesn't even really run away from whatever the problem is. And whatever that problem is, is going to be different from individual to individual. But that's between you and God and your own, you know, I don't know, prayer, meditation, what, what it's going to take to find that out. But point is, you're still here, which means there is a reason for you to still be here. And I think that's important to keep in mind. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, or my album, Home, both of which can be found on the website neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, where you can click on Store. It's a menu, one of the menu items at the top. Click on store and you'll see them there. You can also go to patreon.com slash NDE podcast to become an ongoing monthly contributor. 
you'd like to email me, my email is chas at ndepodcast.org. And with that, thank you guys so much again for listening.